This is the Nonprofit Ally Podcast, episode number 78. Hey folks, this is Steve Vick, the host of Nonprofit Ally, and this podcast is going to be a little different than our usual ones. This is an extracted audio from a YouTube video that I just posted on the Nonprofit Ally YouTube channel. It is a panel discussion with two nonprofit consultants, Zoot Velasco and Jeremy Grandstaff, and one nonprofit founder CEO, which is Nicolette Hofferty of XOXO Hats. And we're going to discuss many topics related to to her nonprofit, but also relating to many nonprofits. We're going to talk about strategic planning, getting your first grant, getting board members, right? And so we're going to, these consultants, as well as myself, chime in to help Nicolette help her nonprofit emerge and build capacity. We're looking to build sustainable nonprofits and that is what we talk about. This is a bit of a longer podcast than normal, so I'm going to skip the usual introductions and beginning segments and we're just going to get right into it. And if you want to see this as video, just head on over to the podcast episode. You can, um, And that is at nonprofitally.com slash 78. That's episode 78. And you'll be able to see the video there. And also while you're there, you can subscribe to the Nonprofit Ally YouTube channel because there's more videos like this coming soon. All right, let's begin. Hey, folks, this is Steve with a special edition of Nonprofit Ally. This is the Nonprofit Ally webcast. We're doing a bit of a, a, a forum uh, type of event here. And I'm going to introduce you to the participants and we'll get right into the topic of discussion. So right away, our first participant, I didn't even tell them which order I'm going to introduce them, but this is Nicolette Hofferty. She is the founder. She's the CEO of XOXO Hats, which is at XOXOHats.org. Nicolette has actually been on the program before um, as a guest on our podcast. And so she um, is going to be talking a lot about her nonprofit today because the focus of this group discussion is on helping her nonprofit build some capacity and move forward into the future. All right, our next guest, I'm going to just go um, no particular order here. It's Jeremy Grandstaff. Jeremy, you are now the focus of my screen right now. And Jeremy is at sgendeavors.com. Jeremy, also a recent podcast participant. I want to say two or three episodes ago. Um, Jeremy is a, he focuses on strategic planning, collaborative planning. They host retreats uh, and special trainings for nonprofits. He also has an advanced degree in nonprofit management. And we are going to move on to Zoot. And your video up there. This is Zoot Velasco. And Zoot is at Zoot, Z-O-O-T, Velasco, V-E-L-A-S-C-O.com. He has an MBA in nonprofit management, also a previous guest on the Nonprofit Alley podcast. Um, actually, everyone pretty recently just on the podcast. Zoot focuses on capacity building, building community relationships, and he does training workshops and webinars and the like. Um, all right. So let me put this into a different view here. Let me go real quick. So everyone's kind of like, how did this happen, right? You guys know because you've been in the email chains, but the listeners are probably questioning like, where did this come about? So I'm going to give a quick overview of what happened here of how this happened. So um, just briefly, I'd mentioned uh, Nicolette's nonprofit in a, a podcast. They recently got their 501c3. I sent her an email and she said, great, that's great. Oh, by the way, I have some questions. And she sent me a list of questions and they were pretty advanced questions. And it just happened to coincide with both Zoot's and Jeremy's 
podcast interviews that I did. And I'm like, I know the two guys who can answer these questions. So I reached out to them. And between about a thousand emails in the past four days, we managed to make this very event happen right here. Okay. Is that a good summation of what happened there, guys? Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, yeah. cool. So um, we're going to get started here. Anyone want to kind of fill in any blanks on your introduction? I'm, I'm not sure exactly how uh, specific I got or how accurate I was in all of that, but any questions or comments or fill in the blanks on your introductions for the folks? Well, I, I would just mention that I have the uh, 501c3BS podcast as well. And thank you for uh, uh, featuring that recently, Steve. That helped me out quite a bit. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We kind of did a shared podcast swap there. It was nice. Um, Jeremy, any fill in the blanks there? I would say um, at our company, we're really about using collaboration to create change and take action. So like you said, can be strategic planning, training, um, sometimes is executive coaching or just kind of getting down into the specifics of questions um, that are going to create that change. And you and I are, are, are at some point, I hope, doing a, a podcast swamp, a swap. I don't know that I would call it a podcast, but I um, just hosted um, the rebranding of coffeewithjeremy.tv, oh, right. um, which is sgeconnections.tv. I think that's up. Um, and so people can go there and check that out as well. Cool. So I will make sure these um, are all on the notes below for links to everybody's <laughs> sites and, and everybody's got great stuff going on. I really, um, it just, it, it's exciting. This is a good team here. Uh, Nicolette, any follow, actually Nicolette, no follow up. We're just going to go right to you. Um, you are going to be the main focus on my screen here. Nicolette, tell us about your nonprofit. You, you got a little bit of an elevator speech or anything like that. Um, mission statement and things. Give us a good overview so we know what we're getting into. All right. Well, we are a knitting crew, pretty much, that we make knitting cool again. Um, the way that we like to deliver our hats is by a motorcycle. When I first started this nonprofit, I love knitting and I love motorcycling. And I'm like, how can we make that come together and gel? And so two times a year, we host a motorcycle ride and we choose a cancer patient to uh, fundraise for. And so we, we have an event and fundraising, silent auction, raffle, and all of that before. And then when the, the ride's about to start, all the motorcyclists all ride us in EXO hats. And they go on a little, like, 45-minute ride. And we end up at Huntsman, a cancer hospital here in Utah. And they all park around the Circle of Hope on the hospital side. And um, they personally deliver the hat to Huntsman. So that's how the two different things have come together. Um, we'll, we'll be going into our fifth year this next year. So we're pretty excited about that. That's great. Um, I'll do a quick follow-up question. I'm sure the other guys have some too, but my follow-ups would be, I was going to ask you how many rides, but five years. So you've done half a dozen, a dozen rides. Um, yeah. And what, how, what's the delivery? Like uh, how many hats are you delivering and how many participants are you getting? We have around 80 motorcyclists. Um, something cool that I have to add too is we're, we're starting to get into the supercars area. Um, we had a McLaren uh, riding with us. Um, we had a, um, an Audi. I can't remember the model of it. Um, but so um, we, have, we have probably around 100 to 300 um, hand-knitted beanies 
for each All ride. Right. Yeah. Um, follow up, anybody have some more questions? Zoot and Jeremy, before we get into Nicolette's questions? Zoot, I'll let you go first. No, I was just curious how she knits while she's riding a Harley, but uh, I think she's cleared that up now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and yeah, um, so what's your geographic focus? There's three different, um, or do you say demographics or geographics? Well, I'm actually um, interested in both. <laughs> both? Okay. Um, well, the, the three main demographics that we concentrate on are motorcyclists, knitters, and cancer patients. And we are in Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, we make sure that our ride goes up into the mountains. So then you can just see all the different, the different mountains. So it's really fun. It's, it's really pretty. Okay. So are you, I, I'm just really trying to get more of a concept of how the organization comes together. So are you, is is it more about it's more about raising the money for the cancer patient it's not about creating community or anything like that well that's that's the thing is that we're broadening on is the community effort and and making a platform for people to be able to help in the community as well um year-round we knit hats for cancer patients so so we're knitting constantly um, but like the really big thing is is giving those cancer patients and their families hope and knowing that they're not alone. And so, you know, that's just, it's so important because it truly heals someone from the inside yeah. and, it, and it helps them fight a little bit more. And then for mm -hmm. the getting the community together, we have, I, I like to adopt companies pretty much to where we just, we, we make sure to host our events with them and to, to make sure they come along for the ride. Okay. I think at this point, we're going to move into some of these questions you have because we're going to learn more about your organization um, just through these questions. Um, and so there's, there's four main questions here and we were talking about the order and I think we're okay just going in the order of them as they are written. So Nicolette, if you want to give us a kind of a summary of this first kind of question you had, um, it's actually something I think you heard me talk about on a podcast. Um, and so maybe you can uh, pose that question to these guys here. Okay. So with Exo Hats, we are ready to get our first grant. So it's, it's tr kind of tricky to find um, a foundation that will help us get our first grant. We, we haven't had any yet, so what are some good startup grants that we could look for? All right, I'm going to go to Zoot because Jeremy was drinking coffee. How's there? Zoot, you're on. Okay, great. <laughs> great. Well, the information I'm going to give you right now is probably going to be good for anyone listening, whether they're at home or in their car. If they're in their car, you should pull over and get a pencil out because it's important stuff. Uh, the first thing that anybody should do in the country who wants to get their first grants is you have to understand that getting a grant is the same thing as a small business getting a small business loan. If you were going to go in as a small business to try and get a loan, you are going to be looked at as a startup. So you're, you're, they're going to be looking for your track record. What track record do you have for getting this loan? Why should we invest in you? Um, and are you worthy of investment? And the same thing is true of funders. They're looking to see why should we invest in you and are you worthy of this investment? So they want to know what track record you have. 
Now, assuming you have a track record, and it sounds like you do, they're knitting on the back of your Harley. So uh, <laughs> the next thing would be to look, look to your local community foundation. And this is true for anyone in the country. Almost every part of the country, if not every part of the country, has a local community foundation. In, in small, more rural areas, it's on the state level. In more populous areas on the county or city level, but there's always community foundations involved. And what a community foundation is, is it's the, it's usually the largest funder in an area. It's the place that kind of uh, takes in all of the endowment funds from people as they're leaving something in their estate. Like, let's say you're going to pass away and you want to leave something to pet, pet charities or cancer with kids or whatever. You're going to go to your community foundation and you're going to put together something in your will or your in, uh, estate plans to leave something and then they will figure out how to get that money out. And so that's what they do. They connect people leaving money with people who need money. And they also, uh, in more recent times, have become really good at bringing in finances from people who are still alive who want to dole out money, but they're not big enough to have their own foundation. And so many of these community foundations can give out in the millions to hundreds of millions of dollars a year, depending on their size. And if you can reach out to them and have their program staff come into a site visit and visit you on your site, that is a huge thing because they're going to be able to connect you not just with their grants, but with all the other funders in the area because the community foundations tend to be the hubs of funder networks. Um, so that's the first thing I would do. And make sure that you're prepared when they come to uh, introduce them to your staff, to your programs, that you're really prepared for the site visit. And don't ever, you know, talk bad about other organizations or say we're the best that there can be because those kinds of things tend to turn off funders. Um, and then once you've done that, the next thing you can do is look at CDBG funds, which is Community Development Block Grant Funding. That is funding that's available through housing and urban development that is passed through to cities to give out based on the population of poverty in their city. So that's money that can only be given to people at the poverty level, and it has to be proven that it is. But those funds are available for anyone working with people in poverty. Um, so that's something for you to consider. And then the other people who give up start out grants would be family foundations. And the best way to find local family foundations is to go to guidestar.org and look up your, your community, Salt Lake City. And um, family, you know, family foundations will pop up there and you can look at them or you can go to the community foundation and ask them to introduce you to family foundations because, again, they're the hub of the wheel. Uh, and then the, the best thing you could do is just talk to your board and current investors and ask them to turn you on to new investors uh, because your board member may sit on another board with a funder from that organization, et cetera. And uh, the best way to kind of network is through those peer-to-peer -peer networks with your board and your current investors. And the last thing I will say is it's really good to join uh, any kind of service organization like Rotary, Kiwanis, Lions, whatever the big service club is in your area. I've gotten a lot of my own funding uh, from individuals through my connections through service clubs. So th those are, I think, the best ways to start out for funding. All right. So that's very good. Um, 
Hey, uh, I'm going to chime in real quick and then we're going to go to Jeremy. Two things you mentioned there that, that I've had success with are both the community foundations as well as um, the, uh, the family foundations. And I can go into a little more detail on that once uh, Jeremy is done talking. But, uh, but those have been really helpful. Community foundations are really great for startups, at least the one in my area. They treated everyone like this was their first grant and they walked them through it and they gave them lessons on how to write a good grant. Like they basically held trainings on how to get their own grants. It was really helpful. Um, all right, Jeremy. Um, so we're looking for first time grants for startups. What do you got for us there? Yeah. So Zoop gave pretty much the whole list. Um, so I, Sorry, I really, I'm really going to have to dig deep here to look like I know a little bit like what I'm talking about. I'll have you go um, first. Next answer. No, 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 no. It's totally fine. I, I, I wondered how that was going to end up working Zoot. And so um, it's, it's, it's great having those different resources. And, and to be honest, there's nothing that he just said that, that is not a great resource. Um, I actually am thinking about maybe having Steve clip me out the section just for another client of mine. So they'll actually listen. <laughs> <laughs> so I think just a couple things to focus on. How many, I, I, so I'm sorry for being the question guy, but how many board members do you have? I have three. Okay. And how many, uh, okay, so you have three board members. And do you know, just off the top of your head, your, your gross each year? Somewhere I mean, that's, ballpark? That's the other thing, too. Is that, is that the amount that we fundraise every year, or is that in donations, like like private donations, like, yeah, there's just- so if, you were, if you were to put your income, total up all your income and all your expenses, theoretically, because you're a nonprofit, they should balance out in some way. What's the mm -hmm. number that, like, what's that total number? Um, this year we've done about 6,500 in fundraising and sponsorship. Okay. And that, that split from like the May ride to the fall ride. Okay. So the reason that I'm asking these questions, I, so Steve is, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, Zoot? Zoot, yes. thanks, yeah. Zoot. Yeah. So Zoot is absolutely correct. Um, you've got to go and you've got to build the relationships. It is about relationships and it's about investment. Um, that is, that's the key takeaway for me. Um, you need to build relationships with a lot of different people and you've got to go after them and give them, I like to talk about it as giving them an opportunity to invest, not begging them to give you money. That's totally different. And so in, and even if you can get it framed in your head that way, it helps you talk about it better. You know what, Scott, I want to give you an opportunity to provide us with a hundred thousand dollars which will help us hire the first staff person we need to do something, right? Um, notice, by the way, there was the part that was, which will help us too. And so be very careful about coming with a blank check startup ask. Um, I used to get calls all the time and people would say, you got to help us raise money. We're just starting up. How do we do that? And I would say, what's your mission what's your vision what is your goals for the next three to five years and they'd say no once we get the money we'll figure that out no don't do that be able to answer that question our mission is one sentence 
that is going to define the difference that we make as an organization. Our vision is that, you know, in it, it's the flowery type of thing sometimes, you know, um, when we're talking about what you guys are doing, it's the piece of it that you said where you want to make sure that everybody gets the comfort that they need or the resources that they need as they're going through that. That's the vision. The goal, what are the specific and measurable goals that over the next three to five years I can look at from you? Maybe it's just the next one year, right? I don't, I'm not, I don't care about what the time frame is. You just got to be able to say, Great question. What do we need money for? We want to do this, 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 and this. And yeah. you're it, just like your um, elevator pitch. And that was actually going to be my third thing is make it actually an elevator pitch. And so sometimes when I'm thinking about how I'm having conversations with people and, and building those relationships, you know, I'm not going to start that conversation the first time that I meet them by saying, Hey, Nicolette, I just want to know if you guys got any grants available right now. Uh, what do I need to do to get those grants? I'm not going to jump right in like that. I'm more going to build the relationship. And so I might ask, what does the foundation do? Or what does your particular organization do? Mm -hmm. How do you help or work with? Sometimes I find it's better to say work with or collaborate with organizations like mine. Um, and so you can, you can kind of have that building of the relationship. And then at some point, you know, you do say, um, what's the grand process look like? And, or what's this look like? How can I give you an opportunity to invest in our organization and what we're doing? Um, so you almost, by the way, have to walk into these things where it is about building the relationship, but it's also about you being confident that you guys are ready to take that step. And the best way that I find to demonstrate that is if I can add into my spiel somewhere and my full board is behind the strategy that I've been talking to you about right now, or our community is behind what we're doing. And so a lot of times when we've helped with startups, um, and, and by the way, Zoot, you are the guy that I need actually giving some startup grant advice to my clients because that's the area that I don't, you know, I don't do a lot in. But when we're starting with an organization, we want to help them bring stakeholders to the table that are going to either buy from them, use their services or something like that, and basically say, what do we need to create as an organization to best serve your needs? If we're talking bike advocacy, bicycle advocacy, then that's the topic of the conversation. In your case, it's how can we best engage you in our rides and in the work of our organization so that you can help people get the resources or the support that they need when they're in these situations, right? And, and so it's, it's all about increasing that, that, um, that contribution. And, you know, actually one thing that I just want to add quickly also be prepared to talk about what you're doing in kind. And I would be very interested, Sue, in your thoughts on this. When I'm talking to people about funding, I also want to be able to say, and I'm getting 200 hours of volunteer time is what I'm predicting I'm going to have. So I just need to close the gap on a funding stream of this so that at least I can kind of make them see as potential funders that I'm not just looking for money that I could 
use volunteers to cover resources on or something like that. I'm interested in, I don't know if that's something you found has been helpful as you're building those relationships and, and going after startup grant funding. Cool. Uh, Nicolette, you want to follow up really quick? That is all amazing. I will definitely take this advice to, to get our first grant. So this is like amazing to, to actually hear upfront advice like this. Right. It's really cool. If, if I can chime in, then I do want to add a couple things. Um, I, we ended up getting our first grant for Noble Pauls before we even had our 501c3. In fact, I was in the process of fundraising and I found a fiscal sponsor who would be the official 501c3 to take in the money. And what I found, and that was through a family foundation. It was from the uh, Christopher Reeves Foundation, right? And so we found somebody that was very specific towards the people we serve. It was people, paraplegics, people with, uh, with the, that type of disability. And we had a program that focused on them. So we, it was a really good mix. What we ended up asking for was a piece of equipment, expensive piece of equipment, but in a, piece of, a piece of equipment that was vital to the program's success. And I think a lot of times when you go for your first time grant, it's, you want this, um, you want to be specific with what you're asking for. And you want it to be something that's going to enhance likely it, you have a program already going on now. So you have some background, right? You have some statistics, you have some measurables. If you have an existing program and you're asking for something that's going to enhance that program, um, I'm thinking small here, but I'm thinking like free donations of uh, a pack of um, wool or something like that. Um, whatever, right? We need a thousand dollars. We're going to supply all the knitters with this top of the line stuff. And we have 80 knitters and we've delivered 500 hats. And when you go to your community foundation, they're going to be like, wow, that just looks like it's going to, that's going to happen, right? They want to invest in something that's going to succeed. And so that, that type of uh, approach can help. Um, I wasn't involved in a grant once. I was actually hired for a, a nonprofit with grant money, which seemed kind of odd because they were hiring me for a program that was, I was, the grant was paying my salary and I never thought grants would do that that much. I always thought they wanted to make, because when I left, the grant, when the grant left, they couldn't pay me anymore, right? It didn't work out that way. We built some sustainability. But I always try to focus on, on what's going to improve an existing program and where do I have this kind of stats and information behind that is going to back that? Because as Jeremy also mentioned, you want community partners. Well, uh, Sitco, I don't know if you guys have Sitco, it's a fuel station. They're providing free gas, free gasoline to all the motorcycle drivers. And um, so someone other community is um, to, um, donating all the, uh, inf the pavilion infrastructure for the gather start, you know, just things like that. And if you take that to a grantor and go, and all we need is $2,000 for this, they see that there's support for something like that. So you're building that case. Um, yeah, so anyways, that's my two cents. But I, I don't have an advanced degree. I feel a little bit out of, um, out of my realm here with these other guys here. Well, why don't we move on to your other questions? Maybe um, you had one about boards? Or did you – go ahead with yeah. which one you want to – whichever one you want to answer. All right. So for my next question is building your board members. And also, um, I know that, you know, it's a volunteer kind of position. Like – how do you find good people to fit your needs and just, just kind of building and replacing your board members? Like, do you have any advice on that? 
Well, I, I think this is a, a question that everybody who is in a small uh, emerging nonprofit, you know, growing nonprofit wants to know, right? Everybody wants to know how you get good board members. So uh, I'll give you, I, I actually do trainings on board development. So I'll give you kind of the three big things that work for, for me and I think it worked for a lot of people. One is you want to be strategic. The worst thing you can do is just get somebody because they're a friend of somebody and they'll join the board. And that's how a lot of people get on boards and it's not necessarily making for good boards. So the first thing you want to do is make sure you're strategic about how you ask. Remember that being on the board is a leader of the organization that's going to be a leader in the community. So a board member is a very important position and it should be treated as such. The second thing is if you talk, if you talk about faith-based organizations, which is the model for charitable organizations, they always talk about the three T's, right? The time, talent, and treasure. Yeah. And if we were to develop our boards along that same model, we would have much more effective effective boards. What we tend to do is just look at treasure, right? Everybody wants to get people who have a lot of money on their board and that's what they focus on. But they don't focus enough, in my opinion, on the other two T's. The talent would be people who have special skills that you need at your organization. And Jeremy brought up earlier in-kind donations. And the best kind of in-kind donations are the kind that you would have to pay for anyway, but you're getting them for free because somebody's on your board or because you have a strategic partner with another organization. So mm -hmm. if you have a, a person who is a lawyer or an accountant, but what a lot of people forget is also web, a webmaster or a, a marketing professional, or there's a lot of younger millennial board members who would be great board members who are good at social media marketing, or you have uh, somebody who is really a, kind of a social butterfly and great at throwing parties. That's, those are great skills to have on your board, any of those. So a third of your board should be people with these special skills. And then the last third of the board that people completely forget is the, is the people who have time to act as unpaid staff. And you're talking about a small organization that really is an operating board, right? Where you're operating as staff. Mm -hmm. uh, but even on larger boards, there really should be people on the board who act as staff for the board so that the staff don't have to use their time to act as staff for the board. And what most organizations do is they spend an enormous amount of time among their senior staff getting paid $30 an hour or more working for the board on, on issues that really the board should be doing for themselves. So if you have somebody who is an alumni of your program, somebody who maybe is a great motorcyclist or a mother of a kid who got one of these hats or a knitter that really cares about your organization enough that they want to act as staff, then they would be great people to put on your board. So longtime volunteers, a great place to look for potential board members or uh, uh, peers of board members, peers of, peers of your investors that are already invested in your organization, anybody you would consider major stakeholders. And the, the idea always behind a board is to pull people into the mission of the organization like a cyclone, just suck them in, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what you're trying to do is get people in the outer community to be sucked into your organization. Mm -hmm. And that's when you really become successful and hit critical mass. Thank you. Like Take it away, use, Jeremy. I like <laughs> to use committees as feeders. I think what makes this really hard to do is it's kind of like you talking than me talking and it's really not a conversation. But um, I think it's, it, it's about using them as feeders, um, using committees as feeders, looking for who are your um, big event ride leads, 
who are ones that step up to the plate. Those are good ways to identify the time contributors. I, I absolutely agree with you on what you're saying about talent. I also think you have to be careful. There are some people that there is only so far they can go legally when they're serving on your board. Um, so I think it's good at the, at the size that you're at right now. You're fine with having an accountant on your board. Um, I'm not really clear where you're wanting to be in five years and what you envision. And so that could really impact where you're going to go with your board. Let me paint a picture. If you envision this as being something that you might want to um, go after some funding, create capacity, and serve, do more rides in Colorado, California, or even other surrounding states, then you're going to have to look up at a, at a makeup of your board that's going to be able to meet that piece. So you may need to be a little bit more intentional about who you're adding onto your board. The other thing that I would say is a three-person board is great for where you're at right now. Depending on where you want to go, I would recommend somewhere around six to eight, maybe even ten people, um, okay. especially since you're an operating board. Um, I'm sorry, a working board. Um, then you want to you want to make sure that you're you're creating that that volunteer piece. I also believe in thinking about the intentionality of how we're building the board as a board, and really doing it in terms of this is our plan, this is where we're heading, and these are the board members that we need to go after in order to make that happen. Mm -hmm. yeah, try, awesome. Trying to identify the person, like making that persona or in marketing terms, what are they, your avatar, right? Maybe for each board member, like just trying to figure out the skills that you want in there, that, that you need it to fill in there. Um, I think uh, just one other thing to add in reflection too. When you're thinking about bringing someone onto the board, you want to be able to give them a one pager that sets the expectations for what you're looking for from a board member. Um, there's this really great resource that we use um, that talks about, you know, the responsibilities of a board member um, and kind of, you know, breaks it down to the three main responsibilities. Ideally, you want to probably have something like that, but someone then that really does a good job of engaging them in your mission if, as part of that process, not the only thing you ever give them to engage in your mission, but something that really helps to engage them in your mission and vision. And also um, outlines for them, this is, where, this is where we need you to plug in and this is what we're looking for. Um, again, I, I, I I, uh, I worry that I'm giving you a little bit of advice for an, a path that you may not want to go down, but if you're thinking about, a, about turning this into a, um, a, a larger organization, then you're also going to want to think about um, how do, when is the right time to take that leap toward staffing or more professional paid support versus when does the board, you know, feel that they should be working that that particular role? And I and um, you know, there's it, it depends organization to organization. 
And a lot, I think, also, Zuda, I hope you agree on the life cycle of where they're at in the organization and, and really where they want to go. Cool. And one thing that I want to add, usually when I think about adding someone to my board, I make them work through a motorcycle ride with us just so I can see how, how they work um, mm -hmm. and then how, how they mesh together with my other board members or my committee members. Mm -hmm. So... And um, that's one thing that I try to do. I try to see how they work with us and all of that. And where I want to take this, um, I've had interest within like the first year of starting it. So I've had interest from other knitting groups, motorcycle groups, cancer hospitals in different states. Um, I eventually, eventually want to have um, a, a building that we can meet in where, where motorcycle um, groups can come and have their monthly meetings, have a knitter lounge where we all come and knit together. Uh, maybe maybe a place for motorcyclists in general just to meet before they go on a ride. Just so then they can be like, hey, let's go let's XO, you know, before a ride, maybe have like a coffee shop kiosk in the in the in the parking lot, you know. So but I want to take this like country, like countrywide. And and just get different genres involved as well, so it's it's not just knitters, it's not just motorcyclists. Mm -hmm. Just just a word of caution: okay. be careful you don't grow too fast too soon, because anybody yes. who's ever been in any business, <laughs> yeah. any kind of for profit or non profit business, will tell you the death of a business is is growing too fast. How many times mm -hmm. have you seen a restaurant close for renovation and then never reopen again? Right, yeah. because yeah. they're they're trying to do too much too soon. So uh, I believe in the taco truck theory. You start with a taco truck, you grow to a lunch truck, then you grow to a restaurant, then a fleet of you know. You, you got to do it organically, and it has to be regular growth. So be careful that you don't yeah. grow too big too quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would totally yeah. echo we'll that. Five. We'll be around. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, I would totally echo that, but it's all in the conversations that you're having as well. So in other words, Nicolette, at the, at the, the current structure that you have, mm -hmm. then, you know, focus on what you're doing well, focus on getting that funded. And then you think about those next steps. I also think it doesn't hurt to be aspirational, but also be, I don't want to leave you with an impression that you should, um, be so aspirational that there's no way you're going to achieve or no, you know, that, that it's going to take an act of God to make it achieve that quickly. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think, I think your vision is neat. I'd love to see where you go with it. And, and hopefully these conversations. will be Cool. Yeah, um, I feel like, I feel like I've been holding back on the reins a little bit because I do want to be prepared for the next step. Um, you know, we'll be around for five years next year. So I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of to that step where I can kind of let go of the reins a little bit and see, you know, where it takes us, like, you know, getting more funding for something a little bigger or starting a packet to branch out in California or, you know, little things like that. But I feel like we're kind of to that point where I can, like, let go a little bit. Well, so. I, I know Steve wants to jump in, but just very quickly, you, you might want to figure out whether your next step is going to be a building. Is it going to be paid staff or is it going to be moving out into different states? For me, I would think you would want to focus on a, maybe a capital campaign to get paid staff in first before you do the other things. Yes. And, and what, or sorry, Steve. 
Do you no, want to say? I think, I think this is a question you had anyway. So let's keep following following through. So, like, how do you know how much to pay your staff? Like, what percentage is it? A percentage that you raise? Is it is it like the the state minimal um, amount that you have to pay a person, or what? Like, how do you how do you pay people in the beginning? You want me to answer that? I think it's going to have something to do with your budget and potential income. I, it's, um, I, I mean, Zoo, please feel free to interrupt me at any time. But I think it, it comes down to what's your budget, who are you looking to hire, how many hours of work is there. And so you have to really identify what are they going to be doing, who is the right person to be doing that job, um, and, and, you know, more importantly, what is the potential income that's going to be generated or that you're going to have to pay them? Those are the three factors that are playing in my head, Zoot. Well, there's, there's two ways to go about this. And I actually just had this conversation with a client today, but there's two different ways to go about this. Number one is if you decide that you want to be that paid staff at some point in the future, you would do your motorcycle rides, your events, uh, and you would always build in 10% for administrative costs, right? Uh, it's normal for grants to have a 10% build in for administrative costs. And when you get to a point where you're doing a, enough of, of these events and enough uh, critical mass of them with enough budget, that that 10% would pay for a, a single staff person. That's how you get your first staff person. And then you just scale up in, in an organic way, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one way. The other way of doing it would be to do a capital campaign for staff. And the way that would work is you would look up how much an executive director for a small organization in your area would normally get paid. Uh, you can also just ask around, but there are plenty of surveys online you can find of that. And you would find out exactly what the going rate of pay is, the going rate of pay for an assistant is, and then you would do a capital campaign for three years of staff pay for a, a director and an assistant. And then when you've raised that three years of pay, and normally it would be probably four to $500,000 for three years of pay, because you're figuring probably around 150,000 a year you know, plus or minus. So once you've raised that amount of money, then you go out and you hire someone and you know that you've got enough money for them for three years and that should be enough time for them to start getting enough money on their own to continue their pay. So that would be the other model of how you get staff for the first time. Let me follow up with the question here. What if it, you're talking like full-time staff, is there an option to have a part-time mm -hmm couple thousand dollar a month person who's working 20 hours a, a month who's taking care of the books following up on emails um, doing some social media and checking the mail I, I don't know right but you kind of have these like boy these are tasks we can hire out and it would free up the rest of the working board your active board to um, your operating board to, to do other things um, part-time staff an, an option or should you just go full-blown does it matter no, I think that's that first option that we talked about, that more organic way where let's say she or another volunteer wants to be that full, that full-time staff, they would start out by raising enough money from that 10% grants to, yeah. to do part-time and then eventually go full-time and then hire another secretary and, or assistant, and et cetera. Okay. Um, I think the thing to be careful 
when you're going with that model is to to make sure well first of all nicolette if it's you that's doing it then there's a bigger chance for success because you have the passion to go with it so mm -hmm. we all know that you may be getting paid part-time but you're probably going to work 30 to 35 hours right and you're just going to work that extra amount you shouldn't by the way i'm not saying legally that you should i'm saying if you have the passion for it, the fact that it's only 20 hours a week is not going to stop you from working more. Mm -hmm. If it, it, I think it also depends on where do you want to go as an organization. I have seen organizations hire part-time people to do staffing and the board making an assumption, well, we've got a part-time person doing our staffing. So you know what? They'll take care of raising money too. And that is not how that works. There's a, there's a different set of skills that I want from an administrative person doing part-time staffing work to an executive director who is going to come in and grow the organization's resources. And so just, again, it, I feel like I'm a broken record, but it always comes back to the, like, what is your long-term plan of where you're trying to go and how do you execute to get there? All right. Yeah. Um, it, you know what? You keep bringing that up, the, the end game and strategic planning, collaborative planning. How important is that with the questions that we're asking here? We're talking about first time grants, finding people to give us money, possibly hiring staff, trying to find board members. That strategic plan. It, it, well, one, Nicolette, do you have one in place? And then the other question would be, is it time to have one in place? And anyone can follow that one up. I think that would be a next step for me is to really um, write out a model of like how I'd want to, you know, pay people, like what positions that we would have. Like that would be definitely an important thing, you know, to go about and to, to get that in place. Yeah, to me, I think if I've learned one thing, and, and sometimes people will say it's self-serving because I'm a strategic planning and collaboration consultant. But if I've learned one thing over all the organizations that I've tried to help start and all the years that I've been doing this work is you take a lot more risk when you go to a potential funder and you, and you immediately are trying to figure out what it is that they want exactly. And, oh my goodness, I'm only going to talk about those things. There's something to be said about an organization who knows what its mission is what its vision is, what its goals are, and some of the strategies or actions that it's going to take over the next two to three years to get there. It's, it makes people more secure when they're thinking about funding you. It makes you look more professional, and I honestly believe that it gives you a competitive advantage. Now, I, I wanted to put that out there, Zoo, because I'm really interested in your thoughts on that, just from the perspective that I don't play in this area a lot, but when I used to, that's what I, that's what I thought was happening. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling over here a little bit because this is starting to sound like an episode of my podcast, 501c3 BS, because there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of mythology around strategic planning and, um, you know, the best way to answer it would be to take the Buddhist point of view and say, uh, you know, the meaning of a strategic plan is what you give it, right? You know, somebody, somebody asked Buddha, what's the meaning of this, 
a lotus flower and he said, well, the meaning is what you give it, you know, and the same thing's true of a strategic plan. So a lot of people will go out and do a strategic plan because someone tells them to do a strategic plan and then they throw it in a drawer and never look at it. And that right. plan didn't have a lot of meaning. So the, the meaning of a strategic plan, the whole point of strategic planning and when it's most effective is when you're actually taking it seriously and developing a roadmap for your organization. And you can do that. There's no wrong way to do that. You could do that any number of different ways. The most important thing is that you actually use it once you do it, right? Um, there's some there's some really good ways that are tried and true. And I'm sure Jeremy, you know, can tell you many of them. There's lots of new ways that people are using of doing strategic planning. And we covered that a little bit on my podcast, but there's no shortage of ways to do a strategic plan. The most important thing is you do one that works for you and that you're actually going to follow it and use it as, as a way to achieve the goals and objectives. Yeah. And I'm going to actually give you a couple tips to make sure that that happens because Zood is completely right. The, the most frustrating thing for me is when I help a client actually create their strategic plan and then they don't use it. Um, and so the ways that you actually do that is number one, it's not you creating the plan. You can create a draft if you really want to, but I recommend you bring your board. And since you have a board of three, each of your board members has to bring three additional people to the conversation. The 12 of you get in a room for four hours and your objective is to come out with a mission, vision, three or four goals, and three actions for each goal. And notice I put a time limit, four hours. There is a time for debate, and there is a time for wordsmithing. If we're wordsmithing or saying, I don't know if we should have this tense, or this, who cares? We can work that out in the long run. It's debating content. And it sounds like it would be very simple for you to get your, your mission and vision piece, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not just saying, do you guys agree? That's not the question to, to the other people in the room. It's what needs to be changed, added, or deleted that's going to make this yours. I'm not talking about grammar, punctuation. It's what content is not here that should be, that represents what we do. Um, uh, the well, biggest mistake that I see people making is when they take six to eight to nine months to have that conversation. People get bored and they check out. <laughs> well, and to add, to add what Jeremy's saying, the most important thing is, is like you already, I could tell you have a lot of ideas. You're talking about going national. You're talking about a building. You're talking about staff. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is prioritizing those ideas. Yes. Big, biggest thing that comes out of a plan. Everybody has tons of ideas, but which idea do you tackle first? Because you can be paralyzed by too many decisions. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. That's why I'm saying you want, probably for an organization your size, you want somewhere between one to three goals. It, it depends on exactly what you're doing, right? I don't like to give specifics, but you don't want, even my larger organizations, I want them to have four or five goals that they're really trying to achieve. And that's over the next five years, Nicolette. So I want eight, I want actions for each of those goals, not just the action, but how are we going to measure that the action we're taking is successful? If I say yeah. we're going to increase participation in events, that's a great 
you know, action. Awesome. We can do that. But if I say the way we're going to measure that is we are going to see a 50% increase um, over the next five years, that's measurable. I might even make that a little bit measure, more measurable and say, you know, 10% over the next year and 20% over the whatever it is, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's about not just being specific, but also getting people to own those. And so the more people that participate in that process with you, the more ownership comes from that. You were actually talking about, you know, wanting to get to the point where you can let go a little bit and kind of start to step back and see where the organization is going. If you do a strategic plan and you bring people into that conversation, you actually just got new potential board members, potential volunteers, potential leaders, and people that will be thinking from an organizational context and not just what they want. And it's their idea, not your idea, which makes them want to implement it more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One thing. One thing about um, like my next steps for 2018. I want to. I want people to recognize our brand more. I want them to know. Hey, look, that's XO hats right there. So one thing that I want to do is is I want to have a booth at all the motorcycle rides going on in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. So then more people are aware of us. Like, I think this is like the next, the next strategic step is to be recognized more and to grow within the community more and to where more people know about us. Yeah. I, uh, well, I think that that also comes with a clear strategy because they need to know more, but they need to know what you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And what you're trying to do. So that strategic plan helps you with funding. It helps you with, promotion. Um, theoretically, a lot of those things that organizations get stuck on it, mm -hmm. it can come from that, um, that document. I think, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, the piece of advice that I want to give you, and this is going to, it's going to sound like I'm being picky. I totally am not. That's all good. I want you to start trying to get in your head to say we or the organization. Yeah. Okay. Because what will happen is if you want to create that brand, you've got to talk about it from the organization, not my next step, but yeah. our next step as an organization. I, I think I cut Zoot off maybe. I no, I, you know, Steve, Steve is the expert on, on branding and marketing of the three <laughs> of us. But I, I will say the one thing that we, because I'm sure Steve's got something to say about this, but the one thing uh, that we left out of the very first question was crowdfunding and crowdfunding oh, yes. is a great way to get your initial funding going and it's also a great way of doing that branding and marketing and steve take it away <laughs> <laughs> all right talk about crowdfunding and branding um yes <laughs> actually what we're going to do here is we got we have a um, we're almost an hour into it and we still have a lot of questions left but i think the idea of just letting this conversation flow is actually really helpful because we're digging in we're actually getting deeper in some sense um but I want Nicolette to have another opportunity. I know she has other questions on this list to maybe touch on one of those um, before we wrap it up. All right. So let's say once I get to that point of branching outside of Utah, how do I keep other knitting groups and other um, 
people, you know, people outside of state, like how do we keep them all on the same page? Excuse me, do we do like a pamphlet or something that tells them our outlines? Like, do we go to those places and, and initially start it? Like, what would be the best way once we get to that point, maybe other nonprofits to this point, like what's the best way to keep everyone on the same page? You mean within your organization? Yes, yeah. For, for let's say that there's a knitting group um, in California that wants to start knitting um, XO hats and taking it to their cancer hospital. Like, do we just, do we, do we give them a, like a, a booklet of things that we do, things like um, a guideline on, on how to do XO hats? Mm. Right. So, like expanding programs. So, I'm going to answer this question in a way that I don't normally answer questions which is, I think that that's a conversation for down the road. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason that I'm saying that is because what you're honestly, honestly talking about is almost like this chapter or affiliation thing. And I, I think you could, you would do it with some type of an affiliation agreement, but it's also gonna take a lot to manage. And so unless it comes back from a group of 12 people that you met with, that that's where you should go next. I actually, uh, like, I think Zoot made a good point of figuring out what your next major move. Is it a building? Is it expanding out of state? And is it, or is it getting staff? And if I'm in her shoes, I don't know about you, Zoot, but if I'm in her shoes and thinking about the future of the organization, I'm probably going to focus a little bit more on staff first before asking the question of how do we branch. Maybe but you have I, three I don't know. Positions, like well, not three positions where you can hire someone out of state. I, I like kind of want to hear what, what Steve has to say because this kind of goes along with your last point about branding and we were talking about branding and marketing and crowdfunding and if people are, are really interested in what you're doing and so much so that they want to do it in other areas of the country, I don't, maybe that's something Steve's in his in his organization has come into before i don't know well i would go back to so let's say you're at the point where you want to expand and you're looking at starting another another place and some of this is going to be in your strategic plan so one of those three goals might be going to a new community in the tri-state area right so you would identify where you want to go which one is kind of most suitable which one has the nearest hospital what are the logistics um, and then networks try to find the people that you want that might be involved in it, whether the knitters, people at the hospital, or or motorcycle people. Is there a club there you can can connect with, right? And just kind of generate that interest and start the conversation, um, and and then figure out like, well, cool. It seems like there's enough of a foundation. We have the three pillars. Uh, we have knitters, um, we have writers, and we have a hospital, or whatever the things are that take. That you, you went establishing a successful program, you need those resources there. Um, I, I know of a, a, a couple organizations, and actually the underwear guy, I'm sure he loves being referred to that. He's got to be referred to that all the time. But the underwear guy, he, um, he branched out, right? He went nationwide, he went worldwide, and it was with here is our pamphlet, here is our race guide, here is how you find people. This is like just everything that, that needs to be done. This is where you order the bibs. Basically, here's the program to you. So 
as you develop your strategic plan and as you work on networking out to different communities and finding those other players who might be involved, start developing the, your PMPs and your policies and your race guide or your ride guide, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, to help people who maybe have this vision but really need that step-by-step -step guide to do it because you are in some way a charter or you're chartering out or you're having a branch um, you know, like, like opening a McDonald's, there's a manual that someone has when they open up their McDonald's that the McDonald's people know. Right. Um, and that's pretty branding too, because then this is the XOXO hat, you know, guide to, to the ride. Right. Um, I think, I think that that's also going to be driven by, uh, you know, developing a guide like that is actually going to help you internally, let alone externally. Right. Documenting, the things that you're going to need in a public guide and going ahead and doing that over the next year or two, that's going to show you how much of it can we quote unquote standardize. Um, I also think it's going to come down to how much control do they want to have over I it. Think I don't think underwear guy cares. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's important for branding that you have some policy in terms of how your brand is used and what you expect from people to use it. And I'll give you a great example of that. Recently, I produced a TED, TED conference, a TEDx conference for, for my community. And when you go to TED, they have about a 60 page worth of documents that you have to follow to use their brand mm -hmm. and things that they want you to do. Now, you don't have to be that, you know, but it's a great guide to see how other people are particular about how their brands are used. So I, I think, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to, have other people in other areas use your brand, you should have a policy on how it can be used. Yeah. So I'm curious, Zoot, when you did that with Ted, are you, do you pay for that? Is that a service that they're providing in other words? No, no. Uh, it's, you, you cannot be paid because you're a volunteer and you can't speak right. at your own conference, but gotcha. there's, there's this whole list of rules of how it has to be done and who can market it and who can, how it can be shown and when it can be live streamed. Right. And when okay. it can. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're, they're, they're very much in control of their brand and you know, right. to their benefit. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it's a very well run organization in terms of how they let other people use their brand. Mm. Yeah. Uh, just really quick to add too, if you go into the process of making that guide, you know, the guide to the ride or whatever, as you start to think about branching out at that point, you probably already have staff and that would be a great staff job. Like, Hey, we, you've been through three of these with us. We need it all written down. And then your staff has, has something to do or maybe a volunteer, but, the, but it doesn't sound like you're going to have lack of, um, I have my ride leaders do it. And my ride leaders do it. They're gonna they're gonna be doing the volunteering anyway, right? Yeah. Do you me could, a favor, just keep a ledger. Tell me what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, you could portion yeah. it out. The head of the knitters, the head of the yeah, yeah, lots of ways to do that. <laughs> um, hey, we are hitting that one hour mark. I know we could talk about this for a very long time. I do want to say one last thing. I did look up the underwear guy. It is Bobby Gill, and he runs Cupid's Undie Run. Um, it is a, at this, at this point in time of the podcast, this was a year old, $3.5 million nonprofit, um, based in Washington, DC. So, uh, they, he, he was great and we keep, I actually think I know him, Steve. You may. He's I'm really, pretty sure I actually know him. He's, <laughs> okay. Wait a minute. Can I share my screen? Nah, I should share my screen, but I'm afraid I'm going to turn off the recording accidentally because I have a picture. Uh, of him don't worry about it. Don't do it. Don't do it. On the front, he's on <laughs> That's a front right. runner's That's right. magazine in his underwear. It's right underwear. Um, all right. Cool. 
Well, folks, I, I want to wrap this up here. Um, really great to have everyone involved. It was really cool. I'm impressed with just how quickly we got this organized. Um, any last and final words? Um, we'll, we'll actually go in my screen top left. That's going to be Zoot. And then we'll go to Jeremy and we'll finish with Nicolette. So Zoot, you well, want to do a wrap up? Yeah, I think the most important things you can do is, is get in touch with your community foundation, invite them for a site visit, uh, join whatever the local Rotary or Kiwanis or whatever club that uh, all the movers and shakers join in Salt Lake City. Uh, I'm guessing it's probably a Rotary club. They tend to be in most communities. And I love my Rotary club, and it's a great, great way of getting plugged into the community. And then if there is some sort of... Uh, um, collaborative of nonprofits or collaborative of organizations that do uh, community work, that would be a great thing to join as well. And when you join one of these things, don't just join it and never show up. You have to really get involved with it to get, to get value out of it. I think that's true of any organization. And the more you can network, the more, uh, the more time you're going to spend, but the more worth it it's going to be. So a lot of people won't do this because they don't want to spend the time. But guess what? That's how you get your name out there. And that's how you find things and get grants and all those things from those networks. So like, like Jeremy said, it's all relationship building. Mm -hmm. Great. Jeremy, you're up. Well, I'll just start there. It's really about the relationships. It's, it's what you're bringing to the table. So don't ask questions like, what can you do for us? It's how can we work together? Um, I find it, uh, so one of the things that I love that you just talked about is go and participate. It's not just about going and being a member. Um, one of the most fascinating things that I like to do is go and volunteer for potential partners. And when I volunteer for somebody's organization, I get to talk to their members and I say, so what are you guys doing? What are you up to? And I can naturally start to see those overlaps. And then when I'm ready to have that conversation, I go have it with the appropriate person at that party. Uh, organization. So it all is all about partnerships. It's about being very strategic. So and, and not just throwing out a bunch of ideas, but prioritizing those ideas, putting them down in a plan that clearly states this is our mission, our vision. These are the values or guiding principles that we hold. And these are our goals. This is what we're trying to achieve. You want to invest in us because you want to help us make those goals possible. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to invest. And by the way, we didn't really talk about it that much, but when you make that ask, if you're a person like me who likes to do the little things with your hands and pull the knuckles while you're getting nervous and waiting, sit on your hands, shut your mouth, and let them respond. The worst thing you can actually do in a situation like that when you're saying, hey, can I count on you for $500? Can I count on you for 1000 let them think about it and let them respond. Make the next word that you hear when you're asking for that money theirs, not yours. Um, and just act strategically and, and collaboratively. Cool. And Nicolette, before you follow up, I just want to chime in too. I didn't include myself in this the, the follow-up. But here's the two things I would say uh, that, I, that I got. This talking about board recruitment. Um, and again, my knowledge comes from the people I interview. So it, maybe these guys are the ones that told me this, but I'll take credit for it anyways. The, uh, actually, I know who this was. It was, um, I think it Lori Wolf had suggested, when you go to recruit your, um, your board members, go ahead and create an application. 
have an application of maybe what they're interested in or what their skill set is or why they want to be on the board. But just by having that application means you have people who, yeah, I really want to be in here. It isn't a, you're not sitting somewhere having, forcing people to raise their hands to be on a board when they don't want to be there. Um, mm -hmm. But you, people actually have to do some type of action. And the other way of recruiting that was recommended, and, and I haven't tried this myself, but I, I think it's a good idea, is to have that, hey, we are open for people to join the board and find some mailing list at your local chamber of commerce or maybe at the Rotary Club or at some professional institution, right? Maybe there's a lawyer's club or a, an accountant's group or something like that. You can get that information out to um, so you have people to mail these applications to. Hey, we're very interested in having board members. If you're interested in doing it, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and the other thing we didn't talk on at all, and this is because it wasn't related to anything, but I do want to jump in here with this, is that you, you're serving people that are going through some life-changing treatment, right? And, and scary. And the, the support you're talking about on being there for them and stuff that they're not alone is really important. And there's a lot of stories to be told there. And those stories, um, one, they benefit the person going through it. They want to share their story. But it can actually, you want to increase event participation, the number of people who come to a ride, the number of board members that, that show up to meetings active is get them involved in that story because that's your mission. That's the core part of your mission is the service that you're providing. And that's why people do these rides. It's a fun way to do things they enjoy, but it gives them that purpose. And so keep that purpose alive. And that's through the storytelling. And that could be just videos or thank you cards or pictures on Facebook. Um, but don't forget that aspect of it because that ties into a little bit of everything. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, a couple of things with, with what we do is, um, you know, you can go into logistics of getting people to the rides and, and raising money and stuff, but what it all comes down to um, with this last ride in October, we did the ride for two people and both sets of parents came over and cried on my shoulder, thanking me for supporting their, um, their daughter and their son to show, show that support. And even, even one of the people that showed up, he, he was like, you know, it was really cool to be involved and to show our support to where we always try to find ways to support people in our community, but you're providing us a way to show up and to show that support in a cool way. Um, really quick, too, is um, our Christmas tree is up at Huntsman right now. And actually, I've, I've been knitting like crazy all these, all these hats. Um, I'm about to go restock it. But there was a lady there um, that was like, excuse me, you know, are you guys a part of this? And, and she actually received one of our hats in the summer. And I was able to show her, you know, it was probably one of these motorcyclists that brought it to you. So like you were saying, Steve, like just the purpose of it is showing that support to people going through such a scary time in their life. All this other stuff is fun things, you know, it's, it's, strategizing it's it's getting people there it's seeing what we can do to help more people but and you know all in all it's it's showing that support to people going through a really scary time in their life mm. well so. that's you're doing a really cool thing and uh, it's been fun to watch your uh, your nonprofit grow and we'll, we'll definitely check back in um Zoot, Jeremy, uh, Nicolette, thanks so much for being part of this panel discussion it was really it was awesome I um, really appreciate it and uh Really looking forward to the feedback we get. I'm very Thank honored you. to be a part of it. It's always an honor to work with you, Steve. Good to meet you, Jeremy and Nicolette. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for everything you do for the small nonprofits. Like, that's 
a huge thing to have someone on our side. So thank you so much. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Nonprofit Ally podcast. I hope you enjoyed that panel discussion. I found it really engaging um, and a lot of great information came out of that. So we're going to be doing more things like this in the near future. So I would strongly recommend you head on over to YouTube, subscribe to the Nonprofit Ally channel there, and you can watch and participate in many of our upcoming videos. There's a whole series of videos there and more to come. So just go to the Nonprofit Ally YouTube channel. There's links for that in the show notes. And again, those show notes are at nonprofitally.com slash 78. That's the episode number 78, nonprofitally.com 78. Okay, folks. Hey, I hope you have a great rest of your day. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Take care, folks. Until next episode. Bye.